Good morning, everybody. If y'all need 10 more seconds to greet somebody, good for me. How's everybody doing? If you love Jesus, let's put our hands together for him. You ready for the word? I was just praying over uh, yesterday what I needed to share. There's a couple of things on my heart. I want to I talk about uh, your leadership <laughs> and my leadership. Uh, you are a leader. Okay, I, di- I didn't get one amen. All right, let's start over. All right. <laughs> like, so, some people come to me from time to time and they're like, well, uh, preacher, I'm no theologian. Okay, that's not true. If you've ever had one thought about God or you've ever said one thing about God, you are a theologian. It, the problem is, are you a good one or are you a heretic? All right, that's the thing. So you got to work on it because you are one right now. Listen to me. You are a leader. And if you are born again, then the greatest leader on this earth lives inside of you right now. He's called the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. All right, the question is, are you going to be an influential leader in this world or not? That's what God's called you, that every facet of your life, God wants his leadership influence to affect the people around you. Jesus was on a hillside one day talking to guys who were farmers. Uh, they were sheep herders. They're shepherds. And, and he looks at regular, everyday people, and he goes, you are the light of the world. And if I'd have been out there, I'd have raised my hand and said, it's not me. It's the preachers. It's the priests. They're the light of the world. He goes, no, no, no. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And this is what he was saying. The kingdom of God is dependent upon your influence. So I want you to know this. The more you allow the Holy Spirit to take more territory in your life, then the more influence for the kingdom of God you're going to have outside of your life. Okay, If the Holy Spirit doesn't have much territory in your life, but you have a lot of influence, that's just your personality. That's just your position. But if the Holy Spirit takes more and more territory in your life, then God, you can have a godly influence on your... Some of you at school, some of you on your jobs, some of you are grandparents, and some of you are parents, and you have teenagers. Dear Lord, you need more influence right now. Everybody said, Amen. Acts 27 and 28, the world is trying to take away Paul's influence, but Paul is controlled. His whole life is controlled by the Holy Spirit. So no matter what they did with Paul and what they would take away his platform, they would take away his titles, they would, he would be an apostle one day and a prisoner the next day. No matter what they did to him, he used the resistance to his advantage. They'd kick him out of a city and he'd say, great, I'm just going to go start a church in that city. They would arrest him. He'd say, great, I've been wanting to write the Bible. No matter what he did. So they put him in chains and he's going to stand trial in Rome and before Caesar. And on the way there, he's shipwrecked. He's in a storm that he predicted would happen. And Paul is put in chains and his influence continues to grow while being a prisoner. He starts out as a prisoner being the bottom of the bucket. By the end of Acts chapter 28, everybody's turning to him going, Paul, what, what, what do we do, Mr. Apostle? How does that happen? In world history, about five times this has happened, that someone's been put in prison and their influence grew. One would be Gandhi. Threw him in prison. Everybody in the world started listening to anything he had to say. 
One would be Nelson Mandela. One would be Martin Luther King. They put him in jail, and all of a sudden, everybody started paying attention to what he was doing. He had a voice that went international. One would be Jesus. One would be Paul. And then it's uh, Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg. Those are the last two. All right. <laughs> Y'all know it's true. All right. <laughs> they got him a TV show after they got out. All right. But you, <laughs> but you look at Paul, and I look at his leadership, and I go, this is exactly what our nation needs on all levels. Jesus was a leader at 12 years old. He said, I must be about my father's business. Now, if he would have been in school, he'd have been in the sixth, maybe seventh grade if he skipped a grade. But at 12 years old, he was like, I realize I'm going to be about kingdom business and I'm going to have kingdom influence. At 33 on the cross, he said, it is finished. God wants you to live a life like that on purpose, whether no, no matter your personality makeup, no matter what your job title is, you go, as a child of God, where I stand right now, where I'm at in my life, I'm going to allow kingdom influence to come out of my life. Where when people get around me, they go, there's a light in them that's different. And there's something in them that's salty. There's something in them that makes me thirst for what they have. How many of y'all want some of that? Raise your hand. You are a leader. The Bible says this in the book of Proverbs 11, without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. <laughs> Let's all read this together. Without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. If you're taking notes, without wise leadership, a family is in trouble. A business is in trouble. A community is in trouble. Without wise leadership, a church is in trouble. Every one of you have had a job in your life. If you've worked and you went, oh, I got this boss, Right? And it's bad. Y'all work long enough, this is going to happen. Then you're going to have a boss that's great, and you're going to go, everything's getting great. When you have wise leadership, things are going well. When you have an unwise leader th uh, leadership, things are going down. Everything rises and falls on leadership. This is my prayer for you today. If you come in here and your leadership influence is a four, I think God wants to do a few things in you. You can walk out of here like a six. Like God can just redirect some things in your life and you go, wait, I know two or three things that I can put in order. And when I put it in order, God's going to give me more influence with the people that he has given me to influence for the kingdom. If you agree with that, say amen. How was Paul, how was Paul so influential no matter what? I think these two chapters, you're going to see him lead at a crazy level. So we're going we're gonna to read a lot, okay, today. We're going to read a lot in Acts 27. We're going to read a lot in Acts 28. You got to get ready to eat. We're going to eat two chapters. You guys ready? All right? So sometimes my mom would fix a big old meal. and She said, you're going to eat it, and you're going to like it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm You're going to eat it, and you're like, you guys ready to eat? You ready? Here's the first principle. Real leaders keep their head in a crisis. That's what they do. Real ones. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Creek. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. They're sailing into a storm, he predicted. This is a great way to say, I hate to tell you I told you so. Let's all say it together, one, two, three. But I told you so. That's a very spiritual verse right there, amen. But now I urge you to keep your courage. Everybody say, keep your courage. Because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel 
of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So, let's say that verse again. Keep your courage. Would y'all say it? One, two, three. Keep your courage. Why did Paul tell him to keep your courage? Listen, another translation to say, well, hold on to it is because some, courage is something God gives you, but you can let it go. So he was telling them, hold on to this courage. Keep it. He said, keep your courage. Watch this. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. He knows this. We're going we're to be shipwrecked. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. This is going to remind you of Jesus in a storm. You remember that when Jesus was in a storm, what did he do? He laid down and took a nap. I mean, everybody else is freaking out. I like Paul just a little bit better because he's in a storm and eats. Praise God. So either take a nap. That might be the most spiritual thing you can. Or have a ham sandwich when things are going wrong. He says, you got to eat. For the last 14 days, you've been in constant suspense. You've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, this is what I want you to get. I want you to picture this in your mind. Everybody is freaking out so much that it said everyone else on board abandoned all their hope. But what do real leaders do? They keep their head in a crisis. He's te teaching them to keep your courage. He's talking to their soul. He's telling him, you need to eat some food. Because when you see people that are really broken on the inside, they'll forget to eat. You see people that are grieving, they've lost a child, they've lost a husband, they've lost a wife, they've lost somebody close to them. They go, you walk in, you go, have you eaten anything? You may, well, let's sit down, let's eat a meal. I want you to see how Paul is peace when everybody else is under pressure. I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Real leaders keep their head in a crisis. Here's the problem. I grew up in Louisiana. We're a little bit emotionally charged over there. You know, we're all emotions. So when, when the emotions get this high, just naturally, I tend to out-emotion everyone else in the room. So if it's here, I escalate to up there. So if someone's freaking out, I'm like, I'll teach you how to freak out. I'll go up. So who are my people who tend to get emotional in a crisis? Would you raise your hand? Let me see. Okay. Okay. One guy, me and you. The rest of us are ladies. All right. Here we go. It's just... <laughs> it's, <laughs> thank you. That was a courtesy hand. But I just... This is what I tend to do. One day, Brooke left. Our kids are toddlers. And she said, just keep them alive. I said, I think I can do that. I was watching a football game. All of a sudden, Austin, over here on the front row, he starts screaming outside. He's three years old. Now, every parent knows there's different cries. There's the hunger cry. You're like, oh, you can go see your mom. You know, then there's the, the frustration cry. They've been around their brothers and sisters, and they're mad at them. There's like, like, they'll work it out in time, you know. Then there is, you need to take me to a doctor cry. Everybody knows that one. That one, you got to move on that one. You can't. So I go outside. He tripped and hit, hit his head on a brick right here on his hairline, and he started just pouring blood down his face. I see Austin. Austin's got blood dripping down his chin. And the blood, he wasn't really hurt. The blood was terrifying him. It's coming down his face, down his chin. He runs in. He goes, Daddy. And I went, oh, my gosh. 
He's three. He looks at me and he goes, am I going to die? And I said, I don't know, you know. And we just, like, we are just freaked out. At the same time, Brooke in her little minivan, she pulls in, sees the blood. She's got a little latte in her hand. She easily shuts the door. She goes, come here, sweetie. Grabs him in her arm. I ain't even touched him. And grabs him in her arm. She takes his shirt off. She goes, oh, it's just a little scratch right here. I'm telling you, in 90 seconds, they're laughing. He's eating ice cream. And I'm going, this is, this is it. Real leaders, this, this is what they do. They de-escalate situations. Here's a hard verse, Proverbs 24:10. If you are, this is hard to read. If you are weak in a crisis, you are weak indeed. A crisis, some people go, well, that just brought the worst out of me. Maybe it brought out what was exactly inside of you. You're just like, well, that's, that's not who I am. Maybe that's exactly who you are. Like when the chips are down, what was in the bottom of the heart came out. It is very revealing. Paul, in a crisis, would you write this down? He's peace like a river. He goes, hey, guys, you should have listened to me, but you didn't. I know y'all are throwing things overboard and they broke the sail, threw it out. You know, they've abandoned all hope. They're throwing the food. Oh, he's like, hey, guys, no need to freak out. You won't even lose one hair on your head. Do you see what real leaders, they walk in a room and where peace is gone, they change the temperature of the atmosphere with their leadership. The storm is still there, but there's a man of God in the storm. So what he's doing is calming the storm and everyone else. He brings peace. Now, I want you to know this. This is what real leaders do. They don't get paralyzed. They don't sit down. They don't lack to make decisions. They're not indecisive. They're not defensive. And you see this in Paul's leadership. He's a visionary. He has courage. He's a man of action. But he knows it's time to be calm. Listen, guys. This is what he says. Keep your courage. You're letting go of it. Hold on to it. You're, he said, and matter of fact, keep your courage because I have faith in God. What does this mean? I can lend you my spirit of faith in this moment. I'm going to tell you this. Between now and the first of the year, you're going to be at Thanksgiving or you're going to be at Christmas or you're going to be on campus or you're going to be around some of your friends. Some of y'all are younger. You're going to be around and everybody's going to be freaking out. And God's looking for a man or a woman of God who steadies the atmosphere. When you do this, your leadership influence immediately expands. When you do this with your family, your family will begin to look to you as the advisor. And that's an opportunity for you to impart spiritual wisdom to people. Paul says, calm down, eat some food, it's going to be okay. Because he does two things. He gives them courage... But the next thing he does is he hears from God. David said it like this, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will do what? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Watch what David says. He says, I walk. Everybody say it with me. One, two, three. I walk. And then he says, and then I walk where? Through. He doesn't face a crisis and panic. He doesn't hightail it out of there. He doesn't wake up every day going, this is over. He, he doesn't put the covers over his face. He doesn't veg out, put his head in the sand. He doesn't watch three seasons uh, of Gossip Girls, all right? This is what he does. He, he just, 
He doesn't numb himself with entertainment. This is what he does. He goes, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. It's a season of my life. It's not life. If you're in a moment like this in your life, it's not forever. So what do you do? You decide, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other, and I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to keep living for Jesus. I'm going to show up where I'm supposed to be, and I'm going to walk. And sooner or later, this season won't be in front of me. It's going to be behind me. Amen? I walk through it. This is why. He says, for you are with me. You understand what, like David was leaning in to the fact that he knew God was with him and he could hear from God. In, in the middle of a storm, Paul has his sixth and final angelic visitation. He has six, and we don't know if there's more. There, this is the final one in the Bible that we know of. He talks to an angel and he gets a word from God, listen to me, and it completely settles his soul. Real leaders, this is the key to keeping your head in a crisis. You open your Bible, put some worship music on, and say, God, give me a word. Give me something to stand on. And then, listen to me, even though the storm is still going, you got a word that settles your own spirit. He hears from God. Amen? When you are, if, if you ever go mountain climb, I'm going to teach you about ropes. I'm never going to mountain climb, but I know something about ropes, okay? Mountain climbing ropes have changed over the last 75 years. The Swiss figured out something. A mountain climbing rope has an outer cord and an inner cord. Because they realize that sooner or later, when you are climbing, you're going to swing one way or the other way and you could snap the rope. So they have an outer cord. It's called the sheath. And they said, sooner or later, like you're going to be in a vulnerable position and this outer, I don't know if you guys can see it from where you're at, this outer sheath is going to tear and it's going to break don't worry, there's an inner cord, and this inner cord is strong enough to hold a car in place. It's crazy. It's, even, it's hard to even cut through these ropes because they're made with the outer cord and the inner cord. I want everybody to listen to what I'm about to say. This is one of the most important things I'm going to tell you today. Your life is made up of an outer cord, and your spiritual life is made up of an inner cord. And I'm going to tell you, sooner or later, the outer cords of your life are going to break. The outer, if you're taking notes, write this down. The outer cord of your life are going to be things like relationships. You will not always have every relationship you have right now. The outer cords of your life is going to be your health. It's going to be your finances. It's going to be your career. You won't always have the career that you have right now. The outer cords of your life will be things like education. One season of my life, education mattered. Now nobody even asked me about my education. They're just like, well, we've given up. All right, just like, but, soon, but listen to me, sooner or later, the outer cords of your life are going to break. This is, listen to me, if you don't work on the inner cord, that's your relationship with God. If you don't work on the inner cord, when the outer cords break, there won't be anything left to hold you. This is why you see people, they go through a divorce or they go through a bankruptcy or they go through a crisis in their health and you never see them again. And you go, I don't know. It's not what happened to them that caused them to fall so far. It was a lack of an inner cord. You can see people who have worked on their relationship with God and they spend 15 minutes in the morning with God and they talk to Him before they go to bed. This is what happens when you wake up and you hold on to your faith and you wake up and you hold on to your faith. One day in life when you need it, your faith will be there to hold on to you. Amen? In the middle of this storm... 
What is Paul doing? He's hearing from God. He's not freaking out. You want to know why? Because of this inner cord of his life. He's got something holding on to him that's stronger than anything else in this world. Real leaders keep their head in a crisis. The next thing they do is they quickly shake things off. Now listen to me. I'm with Paul during this shipwreck. I'm like, I got that. I've been on a plane. Got a little bumpy before. I can, I'm there. Anybody been on a bad plane ride? You've been there. It's the next thing that happens in chapter 28 that separates Paul from me real quick. I'm going to read this to you. Chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. I want you all to see this. I'm going to go over a leadership principle that I don't have time to talk about. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Watch verse 3. Paul gathered, underline this in your Bible or highlight it on your phone. He gathered a pile of brushwood. I want you to underline that. No matter how influential Paul was, he would still do the menial tasks and sweat with other people. He didn't turn around and go, you go give me some firewood. I, I've been writing the New Testament while I was on that boat. He didn't, this is what he said. He goes, I will roll up my sleeves and serve with you. You want to be a leader? Be a servant. Amen? Find a place to serve around here. Okay? He goes, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, watch this, this gets me. And as he put it on the fire, a viper, this is a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, now this, this is a shade of Hinduism right here. This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul, this is the mic drop, Paul shook the snake off in the fire and suffered no ill effects. Now, listen to me. This is like a scene out of Survivor, you know, season 46, all right? Here's the scene. They're like shivering. It's raining on the island. And some people are building the fire. They are around there. They're shaking. Listen to me. I would, listen, if this happened to me, I'd be like, oh, thank you, God, for saving. But if that snake would have bit me, I would have just said, now, you've gone too far, God. You know? It's when problems pile up that people quit on God. Isn't that the truth? Paul gets bit by a snake. And that would have been the only thing I talked about. I was like, I was just on the ship, and I told them not to sell into it. And they did. But God saved them because of my prayer life. And then the snake bit me. Can we talk about snakes for a while? Right? Paul doesn't even talk about it. Listen to me. Because this is a petty thing to him. He shakes it off. Now, listen, you live in Arkansas, in Louisiana. I don't know where you grew up. Everybody's got their own snake story. You know what I'm talking about? You got a snake story? Raise your hand. We all got them. We've all had to dodge them all the time. I hate snakes. I don't want them in the house. Can't sleep around them. During the pandemic, we had a life group in, our, in the Fort Smith area. They decided to, to, to meet, out, uh, meet on Zoom. And so the two leaders took lawn chairs, got outside, set up their little laptop computer, and they were just had their little lawn chairs right next to each other, husband and wife. And everybody's on the Zoom call, and they're talking. He's teaching the Word. All of a sudden, this is how he explained it to me. All of a sudden, a water moccasin just slithered under our chair, wrapped itself around my leg, then my wife's leg. 
So then I asked everybody on Zoom, what was it like? They said, we just thought the Lord got a hold of him. He jumped up, and he's going, woo, like this. And we were like, man, they're having revival at their house. <laughs> then he started talking, and we realized it was the devil. It wasn't the Lord, right? Everybody's, everybody's got this snake bites Paul and doesn't let go. It doesn't like strike. It's just hanging there, and everybody's going, oh. And he just walks over. What is the principle here? You're going to get bit by some things in life. And listen to me. The maturity of your life is this. How quickly can you shake things off and keep doing what God's called you to do with your life? I'm going to tell you, this is what has happened over the last three years. There are people missing and displaced all around the body of Christ. And they all got a snake bite reason. But if you're going to lead like Paul, you're going to get your feelings hurt. I walked through that door and nobody said a word to me. Good. Shake it off. All right? Don't internalize the things you need to vaporize. You walk over to the fire and you go, I'm not going to let hurt feelings. I'm not going to let a couple of disappointments. I'm not going to take a weird text that I got and let Satan keep me away from what I'm called to do with my life. Amen? You're going to get bit in life. The church is a bunch of messed up people. We don't even allow any perfect members here. We find one and they're going, get away, you're going to hate us. It's all messed up people in this room. You're going to get bit. When you get bit, this is what I want you to do. Don't go, oh boy, I got bit. I want you to go, where's the fire? I'm going to shake it off. Because listen to me, snake bites turn into strongholds if you don't shake it off. And I, listen, You'll get your feelings hurt. If you don't shake it off, you will have a spirit of offense. Y'all know people who are just ready to be offended? You're halfway, look at them. You're like, why are you looking at me like that? Your eyes look mean today. You disappointed in me. They got bit and turned to us. Listen to me. There are some people, a little bit of confusion. If you don't shake it off, it turns into a spirit of deception. And Satan can lie to them and they see it as truth every time. We got bit during covid my dad passed away during the pandemic of complications from COVID. I'm telling you, our family got timid about crowds, about the will of God. Like we, we had so much timidity and I watched it start going from timidity to a stronghold, a spirit of fear. All of you know people like this right now. What do you got to do? You got to shake it off. I tell you, people in the body of Christ need to be more like hockey players. Hockey players are a different breed of people. In every sport, when you get to the playoffs, you get injury reports. But not hockey players. There's no injury reports during their playoffs. Football, there's like, oh, he's, he got his ACL, sprained it. He's out four to six weeks, you know. He gets to baseball. He's like Tommy John surgery, you know. He gets to basketball. They talk about LeBron's back. It's so stiff. His back is old. He's got, he's got the back of an 80-year-old man. They talk about all his injuries. He gets to tennis. It's just so weak. I was a tennis player growing up. I was watching Wimbledon, and this dude took a break. He's like, my stomach's upset. I'm like, are you kidding me? He gets to hockey. After the Stanley Cup, they release all of the injuries. There was a dude that played with two broken feet. I'm like, what? There was a goalie. He was in game six. He had a herniated disc. He was like, I couldn't feel my body from my waist all the way down to my feet. I was like, a dude took a puck 
off the chin, broke his nose, knocked his teeth out, and broke his jaw in four places. He got to the penalty box, and he said, Coach, put me back in. And I'm going, you're a different breed of people. Why? Because to a hockey player, the prize is greater than the pain. Why didn't Paul talk about the snake bite? I want y'all to think about it. Why? Why did he shake it off and go, this is petty? You want to know why? Because on the other side of the fire were people who didn't know Jesus. And he said, if I make a big deal about this snake bite, they're not going to hear about my Lord and Savior who can save our soul. So he goes, you are a bigger prize than this bite. I'm going to shake it off, and I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. Amen? There's a greater prize in this world. So don't go, oh, I get mad. Shake it off and go, who needs Jesus right now? Amen? That's the reason you got bit in the first place. Satan made sure you got bit so that you wouldn't talk to your own kids, your grandkids, your classmates. You talk about where you got bit instead of talking about Jesus. You got to flip that. Real leaders quickly shake things off. Number three, real leaders turn pain into ministry. If you get this, this is going to change your life forever. Because I'm going to tell you, I grew up thinking that if I can just get healed, healed and whole in every area of my life, I could have a, a powerful witness for Jesus. You got you to understand what I'm about to tell you. You are never no, more anointed, would you listen to me, than where you've been injured in life. Injury, I don't know why it's this way, but it is this kingdom way. Injury brings anointing. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts, the Holy Spirit did something that humans could never do. Once He filled their hearts, the Holy Spirit could come on people, they could do extraordinary things throughout the Bible. But the Holy Spirit, what He does is He takes the blows of life and turns them into offense instead of defense. He says, you're going to beat up my kid? I'm going to come over here, anoint them. They're going to take where they got punched in the gut and they're going to set some people free. Oh, his dad was ruthless to him growing up. I'm going to touch his heart and he will always be able to pray with men that have father wounds. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, they grew up like this in poverty? Oh, where are you? You missed meals? That's where you're going to be anointed. When you, when you begin to minister to people who are broke, you're anointed in that area. Do you understand? This is life. So they're shipwrecked, snake bit, and I want you to see what Paul does. He turns what seems like a defeat into victory because this is what the Holy Spirit always does. you got to get this. You get fired. Listen to me. If you get fired from a job or somebody told you they were going to love you forever, it walks out on you. If you go inward, you're going to miss it. Like everybody on that ship, when they're in the storm, they went inward. They're afraid with their lives, throwing their food. They're just irrational. Paul, you got to get it. Paul didn't go inward. He turned upward. And after he turned upward, on Malta, he went outward. And he took a shipwreck and he turned it into a medical missions trip. I want you all to see this and then we're going to pray. This is number three. Real leaders turn pain into ministry. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius. 
the chief official of the island, he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed. Watch how he does this. Do you see how different this is to us? Everything bad has happened to him, and he's looking for somebody to reach. Do you see the mentality of people that the Holy Spirit has taken so much territory of their heart? His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. If you got a Bible circle, that word healed, that means it was supernatural, instantaneous. You're going to see two words for healing here. Verse 9. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Circle that word. I'll explain real fast what happened. Paul has a doctor with him named Luke. Luke wrote Luke, the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And Luke turned around and goes, this, I know how to cure this. And it ended up being the goat's milk had bacteria in it, and people would drink it, and they'd be sick for three or four months at a time and run a fever. So Paul lays his hand, this guy gets healed, Luke goes, if, if you'll let me take it from here, they'll be cured and they won't get sick again. It's a beautiful thing. Isn't it beautiful how God uses all kinds of different people in the body of Christ? And he uses people. But he uses people that go, I turn pain into ministry. I take my disadvantages, give them to God. He turns it into an immediate advantage. Uh, several years ago, how many years ago were you diagnosed with cancer? Seven years ago? Brooke was diagnosed with cancer. And it really blindsided our family. Brooke has always been super healthy, you know. She'd drink things like water. And uh, <laughs> she's eating kale more than she should. All these kinds of things. She just watches, exercises, everything. I've been the total opposite, you know. I, I would move into Cracker Barrel if they'd let me move in. You know, it's just like, so we always like, I'm going to be the one. Gets she gets sick. I'm like, how could this possibly be? And then God just showed up, and, 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 but we had a plan put together, and Brooke had to, she had to take chemo and do this round. They had this new chemo that came out specifically for what she was diagnosed with. It was just, it's just amazing how God put it together. But the day, like, listen, let me back up. Brooke doesn't take Tylenol. I can't get an ibuprofen down her, nothing, all right? So the day she gets to take, she gets up to take her first treatment, I'm getting ready. She, she won't get out of bed. So I walked over, and I said, uh, I said, baby, we got to go. The whole waiting room is full of people waiting to pray for her. We got friends that are there. I said, baby, we got to get moving. You got to go. She looked at me. Now, she's from Texas. She looked at me and she said, I'm not going and you can't make me go. She you can't make me go. I looked in those eyes. She was serious. So I walked to the bathroom. I shut the door. I started pacing. I'm like, God, what do I do? She's acting like a teenager. Do I ground her? I don't know. Like I don't. I said, God, you got to give me an idea. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, turn it into ministry right now. So I went in there. I said, listen, I'm not saying you have to get chemo today. But what if we, what if we went to Panera and bought them some soups for lunch? Everybody getting chemo today. And what if we prayed for everybody but while they were getting treatments? What if we did that? Why don't we just start right there? And Brooke said, I can do that. And when we shifted it into ministry, she had power to do everything God called her to do. Because you had to move from, listen to me, you got to move from looking inward to looking outward, upward and then outward, right? And uh, I mean, we got in there. Brooke just said, y'all mind if I sing some songs? You got all these people. Most of them were alone in there getting the chemotherapy. And she started singing all them old, old hymns that grandma sang, you know. And she turned... 
the Hembry Cancer Center into a worship service. The presence of God filled this place and that whole season of, of our lives, she would take the pain and turn it into ministry and God, the anointing of God would flow in people's lives from then on. And God wants to do it in you and it's going to be unique. He's going to give you the idea. He's going to give you that unique thing. He goes, I know. He'll give you that spark when you get open. Amen. Stand on your feet. And I want to pray over you. Brooke, why don't you come up here and pray uh, some scriptures over some people. Praise God. These are some scriptures that were really powerful for us when we walked through that season, and I just want to read them over you today. 2 Corinthians 1, 4, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, they will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Ephesians 3, 16 I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Romans 15, 15, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 50, 10, if you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Psalm 68, 19, praise the Lord. Praise God, our Savior, each day. He carries us in his arms. In Isaiah 48, 10 and 11, I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the, in the furnace of suffering. I will rescue you for my sake. Yes, for my own sake. Um. Brooke just reminded me of something. We were reading a missions report from around the world. About 30 years ago, a lady in France responded to an altar call of a missionary being there. And uh, she gave her heart to Christ. But she looked at the missionary after service and she said, I'm in my late 80s and I'm blind. I'm elderly. What could God possibly do with my life? And uh, he said, I don't know, but I believe the Holy Spirit will give you a unique idea. And, uh, and so he was going to pray for her, and she said, he just did. I know what it is. <laughs> and he goes, okay. She said, you're giving away Bibles for people who came forward? And he said, yes. She said, would you give me a Bible? And he said, but I, I thought you were blind. She said, I'm blind. She said, would you do this for me? Would, would you uh, open the Bible to John 3, 16, and would you underline it for me? And for the next, till she passed away, she'd be around the streets of France, and she would hold this Bible and she would say, a man one day gave me this book. And he underlined this scripture in there. But I'm blind and I can't read. Would you read it to me, please? And they would open it up. She's a sweet, elderly, blind lady. And they would read, for God so loved the world 
That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then she goes, huh, could you explain to me what that means? And in this area, there's 27 pastors and associate pastors that said this sweet elderly lady led me to the Lord, reading John 3.16. Isn't that how powerful and unique the Holy Spirit does? He does way above all you can ask or imagine. Would you open your hands like this, and I want to pray that you get a unique idea.